It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestone. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. My name is Cassie Wienis. I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. I work for Nutritional Weight and Wellness, the company that is sponsoring this program. And if any of you are new listeners, I'll let you know right now that at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we believe in using the healing power of eating real food to address a variety of different health concerns. And for you longtime listeners, you know what comes next. A big shout out to my two biggest fans listening back home. Hello to Riley, my third grader, and Marissa, my first grader. Boy, all of you are in for a great show this morning. Our topic today is the difference between celiac disease and gluten sensitivity. And in studio with me to help dish all you the latest info and research on these two health concerns is Brittany Thomas. Brittany is also a registered and licensed dietitian. She's one of our newer hires, I guess our newest hire, at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, and we are so glad to have her. She sees clients at both our St. Paul and Lakeville offices. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. Good morning. Well, I think today is a really great topic because so many people are confused about this. And I personally have a a gluten sensitivity. And for me, you know, a few years back, I was starting to have a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms, a lot of bloating, some constipation, And I found out that it was gluten. And once I took that out, all those symptoms went away. My skin cleared up, more energy. Yeah, it was fabulous. You know, I don't know about you, but I know when I found out I had to go gluten-free, I cried. (laughs) But once you do it and you see all those positive results, it is such a big motivator. and And it's so worth it. I can do this. Absolutely. So obviously, we we know Dar picked you to do the show for a reason, right? You have that that connection. Um, you gave up the gluten and saw some really positive results. I know many of the listeners know that I have a personal connection to this topic today, too, centered around celiac disease versus gluten sensitivity. But if you forgot my connection or if you're a new listener, really, I have two connections. First, both my son, Riley, and my daughter, Marissa, have celiac disease Some of you might remember our story. Riley was the first one diagnosed, and his big symptom was just awful acid reflux. And by the age of four, he was on an adult dose of, I believe it was Prevacid. We had tried every antacid out there. This is before I figured everything out. So we were on the Prevacid, and for some reason at the age of four, it just reared its ugly head again, and that adult dose wasn't taking care of things. And the doctor wanted to double the adult dose for this little four-year-old. And I said, no, thanks. I'd rather find out what's causing this. And I went from doctor to doctor till I figured out the reason. And we got the diagnosis of celiac disease. My second connection is that at the time of Riley's diagnosis of celiac, it was recommended that the whole family get tested because, as many of you know, celiac disease has a strong genetic component. That's how we found out that his sister, Marissa, also has celiac And while we found out that I don't have celiac, we did discover that I, like you, have a gluten sensitivity. So since finding out that two in our little family of four have celiac disease and I have that gluten sensitivity, you can imagine I've done a lot of reading and research on both topics 
Because there's a lot to know to keep my kids and myself healthy and yeah. symptom-free. Absolutely. And between the two of us, I'm sure we have enough information to talk for hours. But unfortunately, we do not have that luxury. So we better get started and at least cover the high points. Good idea. So I think I'll start with the definition of celiac disease. Here's the technical definition. It's a genetic autoimmune disease in which eating gluten sets off an immune response that causes damage to your small intestine. Now, if anybody out there doesn't know what gluten is, it's the protein found in wheat, barley, rye, spelt, and kamut. And at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we tell people to stay away from oats as well because it's usually highly contaminated with gluten. So that was the technical definition. The way that I tend to think of celiac is that you have a really confused immune system. And so when you eat gluten, your body sort of starts freaking out and screaming, what is that? And all this craziness and confusion makes the immune system want to attack something. So what does it do? It attacks your small intestine. Yeah, right. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. And autoimmune means that the body actually attacks itself. So for someone with celiac, even if they ingest a small amount of gluten, for example, say they even take a little bite of a cracker, it signals their immune system to begin attacking the lining of their small intestine. And over time, as you can imagine, someone with this autoimmune reaction to gluten, if it's left untreated, ends up with a very damaged intestinal lining, Mm -hmm. which then means poor absorption of any nutrients from the foods that they're eating. Yeah. And over time, due large in part to this malabsorption, someone with undiagnosed celiac disease can develop some serious problems. They really can. And I brought with me a list of various ways that celiac disease can present itself. Now, I'm sure as I go through this list, Brittany, you're going to be shaking your head in agreement Mm -hmm. because I'm sure you've seen clients with some of these symptoms. But I wanted to bring this list from Dr. Joseph Murray just to add another layer of credibility to our radio show this morning. Dr. Joseph Murray is a gastroenterologist specializing in celiac disease at the Mayo Clinic down in Rochester, Minnesota. Whenever he's in the area, I like to go and hear him speak. He is such an intelligent man and a great presenter, and I I really enjoy his dry sense of humor, too. If you've ever heard him speak, you know what I'm talking about. But the last time I heard him was, I think, two summers ago. He was in Bloomington giving a talk, and this is where I got this list of what he calls the presentations of celiac disease. Now, for sake of time, I'll just read some of them, but one of them is vomiting, Now, of course, this is in absence of the flu. If you or you have a child that's vomiting randomly, especially if it's in the middle of the night, Dr. Murray says, this can be a signal of celiac disease. Type 1 diabetes. People with type 1 diabetes are at an increased risk of celiac. And I don't think anyone really knows which comes first, but we know Mm -hmm. that they tend to run together. So Dr. Murray says anybody that comes through his office with type 1 diabetes automatically gets tested for celiac disease. Iron deficiency anemia. So if you're someone that's been struggling with low iron and you've been trying to eat the right foods and take supplements to get it up and it's not moving, time to be tested for celiac. Dental enamel defects. If you have a really good dentist, they might be the one to suggest to you that you get tested for celiac due to these enamel defects. Another presentation of celiac disease, getting mouth sores like canker sores frequently. Osteoporosis, infertility, 
chronic muscle pain. Now, keep in mind, just because you have one of these doesn't mean, yes, 100% you have celiac, but it's something to then consider and ask your doctor for a test. Absolutely. And celiac disease really is, as I've heard some doctors refer to it, a clinical chameleon. Right. And just listening to your list that you from Dr. Murray made me think of a client I just had not too long ago. Um, a young a young woman, she's in college, she came to me with a lot of GI symptoms, including randomly vomiting. Oh, my goodness. And so the first thought, you know, take her off gluten. And she came back to me two weeks later, and all those symptoms completely went away. And wow. just was feeling, she was feeling amazing. Yeah. What a great story. I know. I know. Not only because you, you know, hit it right on the head there with that suggestion, but that a college girl took yes. your information and put it into practice. I know. Yeah. It Kudos was great. to her. And I want to share sort of on that note and thinking of Dr. Murray, I want to share an interesting case study involving a patient of Dr. Murray's. And this is a case study that he gave us when I heard him speak here two summers ago. He talked about a 74-year-old lady that came to see him at the Mayo Clinic and her main complaints were, first of all, every joint in her body ached horribly bad. And as Dr. Murray looked through her chart, it showed that she had been diagnosed with osteoarthritis about 40 years prior. Her other big complaint was that every muscle in her body ached horribly bad. And as he looked through her medical chart, it showed that she had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia about 40 years prior. And as Dr. Murray continued to read her chart and listen to her story, he discovered that she'd been doctoring for the past 40 years trying to find some relief from all of her pain. And she'd switched from doctor to doctor. She had saw doctors from various disciplines. And in all those 40 years, she never really found any significant relief. She never found a doctor that could fix her aches and pains. So it was 40 years of struggling for her to get out of bed each morning. She described it as feeling like she had been run over by a Mack truck every morning when she woke up. Well, as I'm looking at the clock here, I'll make a long story short. Dr. Murray started running some tests, and one of the things he found was that she was really low in iron. So remember that list I just gave, mm-hmm. presentations of celiac disease, iron deficiency. So when he saw her, her low iron level, he did an endoscopy where they put the tube down your throat into your intestine and look for celiac. Sure enough, they found celiac disease. He told the 74-year-old lady her diagnosis. She gave up gluten in six months. All of those aches and pains were gone. No more joint pain, no more fibromyalgia. So I'm in the audience listening to this story, and I start to get this smile on my face thinking, wow, great, yay. But I look at Dr. Murray, and he's just sober, and he wasn't excited. He said that was 40 years of good health lost. And he went on to say, a doctor at Mayo, he said, we doctors are not catching celiac disease soon enough. 40 years of good health lost. So my point with all of this, I guess, is that if you have some unresolved health conditions, some aches and pains that nobody can figure out, maybe it's time to just try giving up the gluten. Your body will tell you whether or not that's the right answer. Don't wait and end up with 40 years of good health lost. And as I'm looking at the clock, time for our first break. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Before we go to commercial, I want to let listeners know there was a great article in the Star Tribune last week. I'm sure some of our listeners saw it. It was talking about the health benefits of eating plenty of good fats. Allie Shaw is the writer for the Star Trib who penned this article. 
It was titled, A New Debate is Swirling Around High-Fat Foods. So stay with us because when we come back from break, we'll give you the inside scoop on this article. And if you have any questions about celiac disease or gluten sensitivity, call us here at the studio today, 651-641-1071. We'll be right back. A lot of times when you bump into someone who's lost weight, you say, hey, how'd you do that? I'm here with Leo. I bet you hear that a lot. You've lost almost 50 pounds. How'd you do that? I went to Nutritional Weight and Wellness and took their Nutrition for Weight Loss program. And what's that about? That's an eating plan that allows you to eat real food and you lose weight. Are you hungry? No, not at all. I eat six times a day, and one of their mottos is stay ahead of hunger, and that's exactly what I do. Now, Leo's a dad of teens, a husband, a full-time worker, busy young man in his 40s, and you say you don't really exercise. Though, uh, much to the dismay of my nutritionist, I haven't been able to exercise. But you've still been able to lose weight. Yeah, absolutely. Leo says it's changed his life. Maybe it can do the same for you. It's the Nutrition for Weight Loss program at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. If you want to find out what Nutrition for Weight Loss can do for you, go to weightandwellness.com or place a call, 651-699-3438. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Brittany Thomas, registered and licensed dietitian, and I'm here this morning with Cassie Venus, who is also a registered and licensed dietitian. And before we went to break, Cassie mentioned there's a really great article in the Star Tribune focusing on the health benefits of eating good fats and fats like butter, olive oil, coconut oil. And we really can't speak about this article without giving the writer, Allie Shaw, some kudos. She did a really great job, both in how well she researched the article and how well it was written. Yes, kudos to Allie. She really did some good legwork to gather the information. She spoke with the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Big Fat Surprise. I bet some of the listeners have read that book. She also spoke with Dr. Jacobs, an epidemiology professor at the University of Minnesota, and... You have your drums, Brittany, to do a drum roll. <laughs> she spoke with our very own Darlene Kavist, founder and owner of Nutritional Weight and Wellness. And at the end of this article, really what Allie says is that the consensus is the science shows us we can, without any guilt, eat the whole real fats every day. Yes, we can. And you can read the entire article if you're interested by going to our website, weightandwellness.com, and I believe you'll see a picture of Dar right on the front page, and you can click on that, and it's called A New Debate is Swirling Around High-Fat Foods. Yes, and we, let's see, we left off talking about that case study by Dr. Murray, but we have some callers, so I think we'll go to line one. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, Joanne. Did you have a question for us this morning? Yes, good morning. I was riveted by the last conversation about the woman who was uh, diagnosed with celiac. And I'm embarrassed to ask this question, but I'm curious, what exactly is gluten? And where where is it? What foods is it present? I don't know what gluten is. Okay. Do you want to just hang up and listen? Great. Thank you for the question. So, yeah, I mentioned it briefly, but I I bet I went through it so fast. Um, Gluten is the protein that you find mainly in wheat, barley, and rye. Now, to give full disclosure, spelt and kamut are two more ancient grains that you can buy at the co-op. So 
Spelt and kumut also have the protein we call gluten within the, the kernel. And then we tell people to stay away from oats unless you find a certified gluten-free oats because oats is just highly contaminated. I grew up mm-hmm. on a farm and I so get that because we had oats fields right next to our wheat fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The wind blows like crazy in North Dakota and you inevitably blow some seeds over there. You haul it on the same truck, those types of things. So oats, unless it's certified gluten-free, is always going to be contaminated in high amounts with gluten. But yeah, bottom line, gluten is the protein within wheat, barley, and rye. And and wheat really is our biggest source. Wouldn't you say, you know, if you're going to eat pasta, it's made from wheat. If you're going to have crackers, it's made from wheat flour. Bread is made from wheat. Cakes and cookies are made from wheat. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing. I don't know if you've discovered this now that you've went gluten-free, but it is amazing what products contain wheat that you would never guess. Soy sauce. A lot of soy sauces have wheat. Still not quite sure why. Gravy, or yeah, gravies would have wheat to thicken them. But if you buy a can of cream of mushroom soup, for example, it's going to have wheat flour flour in there as a thickener. Um, You know, so you you really, beer, of course, would have gluten in the form of barley. A lot of things. Yeah, you definitely have to be a detective. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Great question there from Joanne. Now we're going to go to line two. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, Laura. Did you have a question for us? Yeah, yeah. My question is, um, I wanted to know, I guess I'll give you a little background. When I was a little, little baby, my mom said that as soon as I went off of breast milk and she put me on to cereal, that's when all the problems started. And um, part one of the symptoms at that time, among many, 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 was that I um, defecated um, mm-hmm. this black tarry substance over and over, and the doctor said that was all my little cilia coming out of my intestines. Long story short, I'm wonder- I've been gluten-free for only a year and a half. I went through my adult life um, relatively symptom-free until my 30s, and mm-hmm. then all heck broke loose again. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, will that cilia ever grow back? I'm really trying hard to heal myself. What is cilia? It's oh, I don't know if I'm on the internet. Cilia is the little... Um, like the the microvilli? Um, villi, villi. Yes. I'm sorry, villi. Yes. Oh. The little mm. finger-like finger finger projections. Like inside your intestine. Um, you know what? Yes, the body wants to regenerate, so you can grow those back. Um, I, I'm looking at the clock. I'm thinking, will we ever get to my notes here where I wanted to talk about healing. Um, Mm -hmm. We might go in a little more depth on healing the intestinal tract today, but if we don't get to it, I will say to you right now, yes, you can regenerate, but besides just removing the gluten, you absolutely need to add some glutamine to get those villi to grow back. Glutamine, it's a supplement. It is simply really an amino acid that we get when we eat you know, beef and chicken and other animal proteins. But you and I and Brittany, Mm -hmm. we need therapeutic doses to heal that 20 long, 20 foot long intestinal tract that's been damaged for so many years. So Mm -hmm. that would be my huge recommendation to you. I, I doubt that in the rest of your years on this earth, you could heal without, you know, that you could fully regenerate that gut without taking a supplement of glutamine. L glutamine is what you're looking for. Wow. Okay. I've never heard that before. 
Yeah, L-glutamine. It comes in pill form, um, capsule form. Powder I, form. Po- powder yep. form. That's the other one I wanted to say. Uh, at our house, we take the powder form. We sell a really good one. Uh, if you go to weightandwellness.com and click on products, mm-hmm. the one I like that our family takes is the Nutri-Key L-glutamine. And it'll talk more about it. You can kind of do a little research on it. You can see the price of it and all of that. Um the only other place I think I would recommend getting it from is probably a chiropractor's office, would you say? You know, supplements are not a regulated industry, so you yeah. never really know what you're getting unless you're getting it from a really great source. So a nutritionist office like ours or chiropractors do sell what we call pharmaceutical-grade supplements. Okay. Great and I have question. One of those. I have a, a holistic chiropractor that I go to. Wonderful. Great. L-glutamine is what you're asking okay. for. And is this going to be a lifelong thing, you think, to be on the L-glutamine? Boy, that's always the question of the day, and we yeah. never really know because we don't know. You know, our, our intestinal tract is about 20 feet long on average. How much of yours is damaged? You know, hearing your story, probably the whole dang thing. Yeah. This has been a long time. Yeah. Thinking of my background story, probably the whole dang thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably, but if you get to a point where you just feel like, oh, my goodness, my health is 110%, maybe I can go off of this. Mm-hmm. And everything stays fine. That's fine. But right now, there's nutrients that you're not fully absorbing. And the other thing is, if you don't work on healing that gut, you can set yourself up to have to start to develop other food allergies as time goes on, and maybe even other seasonal allergies because of the the leaky gut that you have. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks thank for listening. You. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. That was a great question. Yes, very good question. Because really, and as I was driving here this morning, I thought to myself, I wonder if we should do a show just on the healing aspect. Because mm-hmm. I always try to to cram it into a topic like this. And then usually time runs out and we never yeah. quite get yeah. to talking about how do I truly heal. And it's such an important part to understand. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge. Yeah. So maybe we should give the definition of gluten sensitivity. Yep. Yes. So before the break, we were talking about celiac disease and Cassie shared a, a uh, case study. So gluten sensitivity, the big difference with a gluten sensitivity versus celiac is that it is not an autoimmune reaction. So the body does not attack itself. But if you can visualize a more simplistic version of what does happen is that when someone like you, Cassie, or I takes a bite of, say, just a piece of pizza, and the gluten in the crust will eventually travel down the small intestine, and the body doesn't recognize that gluten is food, but instead it thinks it's a foreign invader. Exactly. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back for break or from break. I can't believe it's already time for the second commercial break. You're listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. I do have a quick question for you before we go. Do you have kids with food allergies, whether it's celiac disease or other food allergies, or maybe you have grandkids with food allergies? If your answer is yes to either of those questions, keep an ear close to your radio because when we come back, we have some ideas on how you can help your kids not feel like the outsider when it comes to school lunches and school birthday parties and other social events. And if you have questions centered around celiac or gluten sensitivity, Call us here at 651-641-1071. Welcome back to 
Dishing Up Nutrition. If you're just joining us, I'm Brittany and I'm in studio with Cassie. Both of us are dietitians and we're here today talking about the difference between celiac disease and gluten sensitivity. And before the break, Cassie promised that we give you some ideas to help your kids feel like they're part of the gang if they if they do have food allergies. But before we get to that, I want to mention an upcoming class uh, two weeks from today on March 28th. Darlene Kavist, licensed nutritionist and founder of Nutritional Weight and Wellness, will be teaching our very popular day-long class titled The Menopause Seminar. She'll be team teaching this class with another nutritionist from our company. And again, it's on March 28th. It runs from 1030 to 330, and we do provide a very delicious organic lunch during that time. It will be held at our Wyzetta office. So if you're looking for natural ways to manage those hot flashes, mood swings, insomnia, weight gain, all of those things that can come with menopause, but you want to avoid the possible dangerous effects of traditional hormone replacement therapy, then this is definitely the class for you. You can go to our website at weightandwellness.com to learn more or sign up, or you can call the girls at the St. Paul office this morning at 651 699-3438. And I have a couple of ideas, um, actually things that have worked for our family, but I'm looking at the board here, Brittany, and we have several callers waiting. So I'm at least going to give one idea here and maybe we'll come back to these ideas later in the program. But thinking of what can help your food allergic kid fit in, um, Again, so many ideas come to mind. I'm thinking, which one should I share first? Something I've been doing, I'll share this one. Something I've been doing every year since Riley, my nine-year-old, started preschool is that I go in as sort of a guest reader, is what we call me, to the kids' classroom sometime during the first couple of weeks of school. And I read one of two books that I have at home on my bookshelf, and I brought them today as well. One of two books by Amy Recob. I'm going to pass one over to you, Brittany, because... You to look at how cute it is, and I know you'll agree. Her first book that she came out with is titled The Bugabees, Friends with Food Allergies, and the second book she came out with a couple of years ago is called The Buggy Bops, Friends for All Time. (laughs) I actually got to meet her in person. She's a mom of kids with food allergies and also a children's book author, and so she came up with these books. They have great illustrations, don't Mm, they? This is great, yeah. Great illustrations, really cute characters, and when you read them, these characters teach kids with food allergies how they can safely participate in everyday activities without feeling excluded. And also, as you go through the story, the little friends in the story really support the food allergic um, friend in in the book. So I think it just speaks to everyone. It speaks to that kid with food allergies, but it speaks to their friends as well and, and sort of talks to them about how they can be supportive and keep their friend with food allergies safe. And what I feel like is just as powerful as reading this story to the class is the question that I ask before I begin reading. Whenever I go in to read to either of my kids' classes, I start by asking, is anybody in here allergic to anything? And inevitably, a ton of hands shoot up. And I still remember the first time I did this. So Riley was in preschool. I read that book. But before I started reading, I said, is anybody in here allergic to anything? All these hands went up and I looked over at my son and I could just see this little smirk on his Mm. face and I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking, oh my goodness, it's not just me. And of course, for sake of time, I can't call on everybody. 
when they shoot their hands up, but I call on a few people and, you know, somebody will be allergic to strawberries or somebody's allergic to dogs. And it just helps the whole class realize, wow, we're more alike than we are different. Yeah. So there's one idea. I'll I'll stop there and and we'll come back to some ideas later if, if we get time. But let's go to line one. Hello, Mary. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition. Did you have a question? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I've had an ongoing issue with acid reflux, heartburn, and um, like when I overeat, a lot of burping. Yes. And they, I went to the doctor and they said mm-hmm. I could have a possible hiatal hernia, but they put me on omeprazole, which was like a miracle drug for me. <laughs> but yeah. I guess I can't stay on it. And so I'm wondering, um, is there anything that, any kind of a supplement I can take to balance out the stomach acid? Because, I mean, I find that I don't even want to, you know, drink water or anything because it just makes it come up even more. Um, The doctors want to do some kind of testing with a scope and all that, but I'm just wondering if there isn't you know, a more natural thing that I could do or some, uh, something I could take out of my diet to make it not be quite as bad because it seems like the older I get, the worse it's getting. Great questions. Do you want to take it, Brittany, or do you want me to... I, I, I can yeah. talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. The omeprazole is something you do not want to be on long ter- long-term. No. It can create a lot more issues and... And first of all, I think you you should definitely make an appointment so that you can sit down with a nutritionist and kind of lay out a plan for you. But something you could get started with is acidophilus powder. that's what I was thinking. Um, You can, we have it in powder form. So you refrigerate it, mix it with water. I would, you know, start with maybe a half a teaspoon, work your way up to a whole teaspoon before bed. Mm -hmm. And And you just have to mix it in an ounce or maybe two of water. It doesn't take much because, you know, like you said, you don't like to drink a lot Mm -hmm. of water. But, yeah, it's it's called Dophilus powder. It's a probiotic or a good bacteria, and it can really help get the pH level of your stomach in a better place. Yeah, definitely. But I do agree with you, Brittany, that to make an appointment, unless you kind of want to, you know, try things and then try another thing... We're so skilled at this, and we've seen so many people that usually by the time we get through that initial consult, we have a really good idea of what food may be bothering you. Definitely, Because anybody I've seen in all my years counseling with acid reflux has a food at the core of that problem, and then I do always recommend the Dophilus, too. Um, But And I will tell you, if if you want an idea of where to start, what Dar said to me early on when I was learning the ropes at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, she said almost every time... Somebody with chronic acid reflux, it's either gluten or it's sugar or it's both. Yep. And I know for my son it was both yep. to get rid of his acid reflux. Does that help? I think she hung up and just listened <laughs> to us. Maybe we talked too long. All right. Um, oh, <laughs> can you see the clock? I don't know. Do I want to get back into... My talk here on celiac, or we were talking about gluten sensitivity the last time before we were taking callers, weren't we? And, you know, one thing I did want to mention is that 
on any given day, I can visit with a handful of people that think people like us with a gluten sensitivity are either hypochondriacs or that we're just following the latest fad or the latest Mm -hmm. trend. And this could not be farther from the truth. And to drive home the fact that non-celiac gluten sensitivity is a true and serious health condition, I want you to know that two of the top researchers in the area of celiac disease, Dr. Alessio Fasano, who's the head of the Center for Celiac Research and Treatment at Massachusetts General, and Dr. Umberto Volta, who is a lead researcher and also sees patients at the University of Bologna Celiac Disease Center in Italy, Both of these experts are firm believers that gluten sensitivity exists, and both of these guys are actively studying and doing ongoing research, and I think we better take our last break. Am I hogging the mic? Because <laughs> time like just I flies by. It really does. You're listening to Dish Dump Nutrition, but as I promised early in the hour, I want to share... Um, Did I promise this? I promised more ideas for the kids, but I do want to share some meal and snack ideas that are gluten-free and that will support your health and well-being too. One delicious evening dinner idea that is kid-friendly as well is Dar's Sloppy Joe recipe. Even brought my cookbook here. Dar has a cookbook out, our boss, the Weight and Wellness Way Cookbook. On page 57 is her Sloppy Joe recipe. Now, this may sound strange to some of you, but when we serve Sloppy Joes at our house, we just plop the meat on the plate. We serve it without a bun. And I have to tell you a cute, quick story about the bunless Sloppy Joe. On Monday, my kids didn't have school. It was teacher workshop. So we invited some friends over and the little friend that Riley invited over, he wanted her to stay for dinner. And knowing that in kids' eyes, we eat very differently and Mm -hmm. sort of weird at our house, I kind of hesitated. And I'm like, Riley, mm, you know, I don't know. It's going to be really different for her. I don't know if she'd like our food. And he said, Mom, can you please just ask? Mm -hmm. So I didn't ask her if I could use her name on the radio today. So I'm going to use a fake name. I'm going to call her Madeline. So I called up Madeline's mom, and I, I told her what we were having for dinner that night. And I said, do you think Madeline would like to join us? And she asked Madeline about the bunless sloppy joe and here was madeline nine-year-old's response that's okay mom the meat is the best part anyway the bun just gets all soggy oh that's cute i loved that answer so we had her over for supper she cleaned her plate loved dar's sloppy joe recipe i also made some fruit kebabs with just strawberries and grapes and some steamed green beans and there you have it a tasty kid-friendly, healthy, gluten-free meal. And stay with us because Brittany has a couple of her favorite gluten-free snack ideas to share when we come back in just a minute. Hi, I'm Cassie Wienis, a registered and licensed dietitian from Nutritional Weight and Wellness. You may know me from Dishing Up Nutrition, but today I want to talk to you as a mom of two kids with celiac disease, as well as additional food sensitivities, topics near and dear to my heart. Even with all my training as a dietitian, I was overwhelmed when my family had to go gluten-free. My boss, Dar, helped me learn the ins and outs of going gluten-free with real food, and that's when we realized other people need help and direction, too. So we created an online class called Going Gluten-Free the Healthy Way. You learn what gluten is, where it's found, and how to be gluten-free at home, at restaurants, and at social events. We teach you how to shop gluten-free and how to make healthy, delicious meals your whole family will enjoy. And it may surprise you that I don't buy many gluten-free products. If you take the class, I'll teach you how simple it is to go gluten-free eating real food. Learn more and register at weightandwellness.com. That's weightandwellness.com. 
Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Cassie told you just before we went to break that I have some gluten-free snack ideas to share. So here goes one of my favorites because it's very easy and tasty is getting some good nitrate-free deli meat, also making sure it's gluten-free, and putting some guacamole, spreading that on there, and just some cut-up peppers and make little roll-ups. Num. Yes. Love that. And yep. Applegate Organic, just mm-hmm. to give you one of many brands, but you're right, you do have to make sure your deli meat is gluten-free. Yep, yep. Um, you know, another one uh, that I really like, those wild rice meatballs from our cookbook. Oh. They're you got to check out this cookbook. Yes. Yeah. And then just some celery and some almond butter. I just made those meatballs this week. And I this is me. I like a lot of flavor. I love them best if I do red onion. It calls for onion mm-hmm. instead of regular onion. And instead of mincing the garlic, when I chop up the garlic really small. Yeah. Yeah. To taste that garlic. All right. Well, let's... Um, Let's see. I was talking about Dr. Fasano and Dr. Volta, mm-hmm. how they are doing ongoing research on this area of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Yeah. And I, you know, I've read some articles from them as well. And they both say that while gluten sensitivity is not an autoimmune reaction, you do, still do get a reaction from the immune system. And that leads to a lot of inflammation of the intestines. And if that flame of that inflammation is getting produced every day because you're continuing to eat gluten, that can create a lot of health problems over time. Basically, you know, those same symptoms, presentations of celiac disease that we were talking about, you could also see those in somebody with non-celiac gluten sensitivity too. Now, whether you figure out that it is the gluten causing the problems and the pain early in the game or whether it takes you a few years or a couple decades like me, at whatever point you conclude it is the gluten at the core of the problem, you can bet that you have a leaky gut that needs to be healed. And and like that collar earlier, mm-hmm. that's when you really need to not just remove the gluten, but add some L-glutamine. Yep, absolutely. Now. When I reflect on today's topic, which is celiac disease versus gluten sensitivity, I think I would be remiss if I didn't pinpoint some similarities and some big differences. So first, looking at some big similarities, I just mentioned both celiac disease and gluten sensitivity can produce some of the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. I have had clients with awful acid reflux. We remove the gluten. It resolves but they don't have celiac, but they're obviously gluten sensitive. And then there's my son who has that autoimmune reaction the testing showed. So he has the celiac disease. Same thing, though, removing the gluten healed his acid reflux. So each of those conditions can produce the same types of symptoms. Another big similarity is that both conditions require a strict lifelong gluten-free diet. And I was just saying to Brittany over the break I thought it was very powerful as I was researching for today's show. I was listening to a a podcast that Dr. Volta from the University of Bologna was doing, and he firmly said, it's not just celiac people that have to live a life strictly gluten-free. 
it is people with a gluten sensitivity too. There's no reintroducing it back in was his take on it. So that's another similarity. A big difference I want to stress though is that with celiac disease, you really have to be careful about cross-contamination because even the smallest, teensiest little crumb can do damage to the intestines of someone with celiac disease. Mm -hmm. So for example, almonds. At our house, we like to have almonds around because they're a good, healthy fat to snack on. But I have to be really particular about the brands of almonds that I buy because many of them are cross-contaminated. And if you think of the factory that they come from, it it makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, the machinery, the, the machinery may have just run a big batch of pretzels, let's say, which are made with wheat flour. And then they're going to run a bunch of almonds. And because they're both dry ingredients, they might not wash down mm-hmm. their equipment. So you're going to get that cross-contamination. That would be very dangerous for my kids with celiac disease. Or another thought, speaking of differences in cross-contamination, when we go to, let's say, Easter, I'm thinking of going home to North Dakota for Easter, which is a, a big, huge event, and there's gluten everywhere at my aunt Ceri's house as she serves the Easter meal. Of course, we will take our own food, but I always bring along wet wipes because especially the kids, you know, they're yes. into the the bread and they're touching all kinds of things with gluten. And so I go around and like to have the kids, the cousins and things wipe off their hands so that they don't get that cross-contamination onto my kids mm-hmm. and potentially into my kids' mouth. So there is that extra layer of diligence for those people that have celiac disease. Yeah, I think that's really good for people to know. So what do you say next? We give some real food examples of how to eat gluten-free. Great idea. And I love that you said real food in case anybody missed it. That's a key word. Mm -hmm. So we want listeners to start off on the right foot by going gluten-free the healthy way, which again is eating those real foods, not the processed box gluten-free products. So one example of a gluten-free breakfast made from real food that I enjoy is, you know, a couple of eggs, some bacon on the side. I put some spinach and whatever other vegetables I have on hand, saute it in the eggs, and also cook those eggs in coconut oil for my healthy fat. Delicious. Oh, that sounds really Mm -hmm. good. One of my favorite gluten-free, dairy-free lunches, because we eat dairy-free too, Um, especially now that it's Lent and I don't eat meat on Fridays, one of my favorites is the Salmon Salad Supreme recipe. Again, in our Weight Mm -hmm. and Wellness cookbook that I have here by my side. It's right here on page 120. And if I don't have a can of salmon in the turntable, I always have some tuna and either one works just as well. So you take that salmon or that tuna and then the recipe calls for a little chopped up celery, some peas, a hard-boiled egg, which I think is really what adds the extra pizzazz to this recipe, and then a heaping tablespoon of mayonnaise. And I mix that all up and serve it on top of some romaine or some spinach leaves, and it is delicious. Oh, I don't know. Should we give more ideas or should we talk about... um, Repairing the intestinal tract some more. You know, as I as I watch the clock, we mentioned taking the glutamine to heal the intestinal yep. tract. We didn't mention bifidobacteria. I think that's really important yet. to mention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I like to tell people as a good analogy, because I'm a very visual learner, if you've been eating gluten for a long time and having a negative reaction to it, and maybe it was going on for years and you didn't know it, you destroyed a lot of the good bacteria in your intestinal tract. 
And just like if you dig up your garden at the end of the year, you're not going to expect it to spontaneously grow back Mm -hmm. for you in the spring. Same goes for our gut bacteria. If we've killed it off and now we stop eating the gluten, you can't expect that good bacteria to spontaneously grow back in full. So a good bifido bacteria supplement would be good. And, you know, as I watch the clock here and as we wrap up this morning, because I know we're almost done, I want to leave listeners with a couple statistics to ponder. First, roughly 1 in 100 people have celiac disease. Another statistic, it's estimated that 83% of Americans who have celiac disease, so 83% of those 1 in 100 are walking around undiagnosed or misdiagnosed with other conditions. Wow. 83%. And finally, researchers estimate that about 6% of the population in this country has non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So I guess my bottom line here is that if you're someone suffering with unresolved aches and pains or some health condition the doctors seem to have no good remedy for, either ask to be tested for celiac disease or try going gluten-free. If you give it 100% strict gluten-free for just four weeks, your body will tell you by the end of those four weeks whether or not taking out the gluten is the answer. So... Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.